Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast, a radio show coming to you on this Friday evening here. And we have a special guest on the podcast, Candice Hudspeth. I said that right? You good. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, I fuck up names a lot, so I didn't want to get that right off the bat. But uh, we're going to have Candace here kind of share her story. Um, again, for you guys listening, if you're unfamiliar with her, she's on Instagram, Facebook, her site, everything will connect you guys at the very uh, end of it here. She is the current, and this is going to sound very important. I'm going to make you sound very special here. Uh, she's currently the CMO of OPEX Fitness, which we'll dig into that. She was the former VP of Innovation at Bodybuilding.com, founder of Nourish and Bloom, a Lululemon ambassador, and the creator of Conditioning with Candice. Uh, just to share the numbers, she's competed in the fitness world kind of across the board. Um, and for all my dudes out there listening who think they're strong, if you're talking Candace's PRs here, she can squat 300 pounds, bench 205, and a deadlift of 365. Those are impressive, dude. I, I respect those. Thank those you. Are, those, are, those are tough to do. Um, so uh, just these guys, I'm going to let you kind of you know share your story um, as we get into it. But for all the people, you know, I guess listening right off the bat who, first of all, don't know you are this, the CMO uh, of OPEX. What is OPEX Fitness for these guys listening? Oh, gosh. OPEX is a coaching education company. And... I was the founder is James Fitzgerald, who's the original uh, or inaugural, we like to say, winner of the CrossFit Games. Um, the first ever dude to win first a CrossFit. First ever dude, yeah, the OG. Most people know him as OPT, um, but when he moved from uh, Canada to the States, rebranded as OPEX. Um, but yes, a coaching education company. Uh, we work with coaches from all over the world um, to deliver a, a system of coaching that James has developed over the last 25 years in his career. And um, yes, help them professionalize their passion and really um, dig deep into the why behind fitness uh, program design for their clients. And then we have a gym's license model off the back of our education for coaches to be able to deliver fitness in more of a one-to-one model that creates profitable businesses for them. So that's the bulk of OPEX, but there's also a long history on uh, the competitive functional fitness side. We have a remote coaching business unit also called Big Dogs Athlete. Uh, where you'll notice people like Colleen Foch and other amazing athletes that are out doing big things in the world of functional fitness. And so, like your role at OPEX, like your day to what do you what is your what is this what does the CMO of OPEX do? Uh, well, I, every day is really different. We, you know, all things marketing essentially, but really, I'm in a leadership position there. I work very closely with my partner on the operations side, and obviously the CEO and our founder. Um, to, to really bring uh, his vision to life and build a brand that um, really gives is, is given the respect that it deserves. I mean, James has spent so much of his time, um, years on the planet, like putting his effort into developing quality education and giving fitness professionals a way to deliver fitness that uh, is not only life-changing for them, but also for the clients that receive it. And so for me coming into OPEX, I wanted to give the brand a platform that that said that to the world um, and that elevated uh, it to that level professionally from a visual perspective and from a content perspective and so that's what I've been focused on for the last year everything from like developing the website and the editorial calendars and all the content um, running uh, social media production and uh, supporting our my operations partner on course development and getting the course uh, promotion out into the world, also developing um, systems and content strategies for our gym owners to then go out and grow their businesses and connect with clients in their local markets. So each day is different. I would say the majority of my time is spent on promoting uh, and creating awareness around the education, but 
every day we kind of roll into the office and our energy is around like how can we help a coach make an impact uh, grow get you know become more of an expert than they were uh, the day before and that's what we're focused around so creating high value content that educates coaches and you know gives them a network of people to connect to and and grow as a professional so, so OPEX in, in a nutshell is they coach coaches basically yeah pretty much I dig that and then before that you're at bodybuilding.com Yes. Real simple. Just give us the breakdown of what that was like. You enjoyed it. For the most part, I'm sure it was a – because back then, for you guys listening, obviously, a lot of you were fitness nutheads. Like, bodybuilding.com was the was the shit. It was the platform. When you were there, it was like in its heyday, in essence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a legacy brand. It has a lot of nostalgia behind it. Um, for me, it has a special place in my heart because I made a career pivot uh, at that point professionally. I spent – you know, the first 12, 15 years of my career um, on the agency side of advertising. I spent a few years here locally after graduating from um, ASU and starting my master's and moved to New York to build out an office um, in New York for the agency I was representing here. And then got a really cool opportunity to do some project work for the U.S. Army, uh, which turned into some project work on brand strategy for Intel. Um, got to spend a lot of years on working with IBM and pretty much every amazing big brand you can think of, all General Mills, Nikon, uh, yeah, you name it, I probably spent some effort on it from a digital perspective, but mostly my role in the agency world was developing digital content practices. Um, a lot of agencies, uh, if you think back last 10 years, you know, they, were, they started in print and radio and out of home and TV, and digital marketing was newer, and you know, I came in to build teams that knew how to create content in a more nimble way and create content that connected through digital channels and so spent a lot of time doing that in New York. Woke up one day and was pretty close to what I thought was my optimal career uh, goal so to say and was like man I, I've i always loved fitness. I tried to have like fitness as my side hustle throughout sure. developing my career. I would compete as often as I could. I would stay connected to people on social media as much as I could but it was a tug of war and when my career demanded more time and energy that took priority over fitness so my own fitness began to suffer I woke up one day and I was like I'm working 15 plus hours a day I'm sleeping at the office over the weekend Um, I am struggling to make my workouts I haven't been able to express fitness in a way that I feel like is important to me in a long time I want to find a way to pivot my career back to fitness and I took a project with the Under Armour team and was actually considering going there full-time, launching a women's brand. And at the same time that that was happening, um, the, the founder, uh, Ryan DeLuca of Bodybuilding.com, and I were connected, and, and he was like, come out and meet the team and figure out what we can do. And I did. I jumped on a plane. I was spent a few days there, and it was a cool opportunity to build an agency model within a corporate environment and produce amazing content for fitness. And I was passionate about that, so I took the leap and moved from Manhattan to Boise, Idaho, which was a complete culture shock. It's quite the jump, yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been to both, so I, I know the, the dynamic of each. It's yeah, I didn't know different. what to expect. Like, I was like, Idaho, potatoes, but that's actually like northern Idaho. Boise's cool. It is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I had no clue, like, the gem that I was uh, traveling into. I mean, you can be to skiing in 20 minutes, you can be to lakes in 10, um, the river is beautiful, and... You know, I'd say the culture is growing fast. I think that's like the stats that I remember hearing were like 15 people a day from California were moving into Boise. So 
it was becoming more diverse. I think that was the hardest thing for me as I came from Manhattan where I would hear, you know, five languages on my walk to work and I was in the thick of what was happening in the world from a news perspective um, all of the time and I was working with big companies and very connected to just the pulse of the world. Then I moved to Idaho and it was like this little bubble where Boise is no not diversity. That. No, at all. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Um, but yeah, I became more and more diverse and downtown Boise is like a really, is a really cool place. I remember because I did uh, whatever one of the fit, like when I'm competing, I'm, I'm old, obviously everybody knows that. So back in the day was like when they were doing like the Fit USA uh, competition. So I went to like the bodybuilding.com expo where you compete and you were in. I remember like I stayed in Marriott and like I walked down to like the football stadium, which wasn't locked by the way, so I could like walk onto Boise's Field, which is ridiculous that they let people do that. And like the Whole Foods and the normal stuff in their downtown, it's nice. You know, it's a, it's a neat place. Like it's the airport is pretty chill uh which i actually like too but uh it's a it's a cool place but definitely not uh not manhattan no. by any means for sure I, it was cool i got to slow down a little bit right like i learned patience by standing in a starbucks line for five minutes and not like ordering on the fly and getting out in and out of there in 10 seconds well and like at that like obviously you know and how the amount of people who in if fitness is your thing like that's probably one of the top i mean at least then like top five places to work i would imagine because mm-hmm. you meet a ton of cool people along the way i'm sure you do and i think like the community in Boise is because of bodybuilding.com having such a legacy there um, is very fit. So active outdoors um, and obviously a ton of gyms. You have a lot of powerlifting communities, a lot of strongman communities there. So yeah, it's definitely a fit place to live and you can feel that in the energy of the community. And so for you, the personal stuff like uh, the fitness background, like from a young age till today, what's kind of the chronological progression of how you played sports as a kid no or did you just start lifting weights and squatting 300 pounds right off the bat <laughs> nope never played sports um i like danced and did the cheerleading thing growing up uh wouldn't have guessed you know, that but all that kind of stuff yeah. and i would i mean cheerleading became competitive sport at some point like end of middle school went through high school for sure um, you know i was on an all-girls uh, stunt squad we went to national several times so i actually was introduced to weightlifting and conditioning but like real you're, you're saying like real cheerleading when i think of it yeah. like not like when people are like, oh, it's college cheerleading. Yeah, but like the girls and the dudes who do it are like fucking strong, dude. Not yeah. like some pom-pom bullshit. Not that there's anything wrong with that, anybody listening, but I'm like, you're doing the real stuff. Yeah, okay. there's definitely, there's pom or like dance squad and then there's cheerleading and you're tumbling and stunting and doing cool tricks with, with your body. So yeah, you have to definitely be strong. I had a really amazing coach um, through high school and cheerleading. She introduced me to the gym. Um, I fell in love. My mom always worked out growing up, so that was always something I saw her prioritize. And, you know, every once in a while we'd get to go to the gym with her growing up. So that was kind of there for me nostalgically when I got to connect to the gym on my own. Um, and yeah, I started working out, doing a lot of group fitness classes, ended up getting a gig teaching at a Bally's group fitness. Nice. Uh, one of the personal trainers who was at the gym at the time that I was there, actually here locally, it was the Bally's that used to be on Shea. Um, oh yeah. 15, 16 years ago. Nice, I think they've dude. been gone for a long time. So I uh, started personal training there, and one of the other trainers was like, there's a, a bodybuilding show coming up, Arizona, local show. What are you going to do after you graduate high school? Like, cheerleading's going to be over. you got to find something else. Like, you should do a competition. I'm like, oh, sure, what do I have to do? You know? And he's like, oh, there's this thing called fitness. You have to put on a bikini and stand on stage and do some poses. Then you get to do a two-minute routine. You can choreograph it. You have to do some poses, some mandatory moves, but you'll be great. Just go. So we had like four weeks. He taught me an old school bro diet for getting ready for a show. I Seems right, yeah. Cut for six weeks and, you know, didn't know what the heck I was doing, but loved the performance aspect of it and ended up getting hooked. I won the Arizona competition here locally as a teen for about three years and then started competing in the open division in fitness. And I think eventually when I, 
I was going to school for kinesiology exercise science. I originally wanted to be coach, trainer, career path. And it's, terrible, it's a terrible career, but yeah. <laughs> hit that point where I was personal training for many hours and trying to go to school and was struggling and thought, I got to switch to business so I can figure out how to make some money yeah. um, and live a different life than grinding all the time. I hear so I, I did that and, uh, you know, come full circle as you're trying to compete and have build a career. Very challenging to do fitness where you're dieting, training, and then also doing routine choreography, gymnastics practice, and all those things. So I had to cut the fitness but kept like the figure and the bikini type stuff. Did a few more NPC shows at a national level and then decided to try WBFF. Did a few Which shows was the there. shit for a little bit. Yeah. Like for even for dudes. Like there was a span there where it was Male like. E- oh, yeah, very much. So yeah. yeah. It's just look, you're not doing anything other than like. I mean, it's like kind of posing, but like in your own free, weird it's way. It's kind of like a pageant. Yeah, it's basically like a male beauty pageant, essentially, is what yeah. it is. Like, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it's, and the ladies, too. It's like Victoria's Secret fashion show meets fitness. It really is, honestly, now that you say that. Yeah. Does so. it WBFF exist anymore? They do. They're huge. Still? Yeah. I guess I'm just like, I'm so, like, I don't give a shit about that stuff anymore, so I guess I don't follow it. But I still see, like, the, when they do the NPC shows here, like Miles, and then puts them on. It's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. Like, it's tons and tons of people. So you, and again, I, on a side note, like, the fitness stuff, I think, is the hardest, probably. Because you have to do a routine and be ripped mm-hmm. and you're hungry as shit and you're tired like that's I always say it is the worst bodybuilding is rough too because for what it's worth like when you are posing it's a miserable experience mm-hmm. and then you get a cramp in your hamstring and you want to drop dead but you can't move like that's but even that is easier to me than the fitness part of it is so you go through and you start you end up with what like bikini or figure or something in yep. between yeah I ended up doing like fitness model um, with WBFF and then I took a lot of a year's gap while I was in New York and just grinding a couple of years into being in New York, about five years in, I was like, man, I'm getting out of shape. I got to like pick a show. That's my thing. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to cut for a show. So I did a few more um, around that time. My last show that I did, I was around 33 and just was like, okay, I have no business being half naked on stage anymore. This is not where my life goals are right now. <laughs> I don't really want to do this again. And I love the process of getting ready for something. I loved um, the drive to train towards something, but I actually didn't really enjoy the onstage experience that much. Um, yeah, I just didn't feel... Like, you know, you're backstage, you're not feeling well, you feel actually weak and depleted. It's a miserable um, experience, yeah. And and then you're up there trying to smile and have a bunch of people staring at you, evaluating your physique and judging you and, and you know, rating your quality of beauty. And it's like, I have more to offer the world than just, like, some ass. So I think that will be my last show. So I did. that was my last show. And then um, as I transitioned over to bodybuilding.com from New York, I was introduced to some powerlifting there and uh, power building kind of hybrid and yeah. started doing more aggressive powerlifting. And I, that became inspiring to me because it was you know, something to wake up for and uh, get into the gym early in the morning and get better at every day. And I could see, I was always the girl who would put like you know, 95 pounds on a bar and squat and do high rep. I would never really you know, put more weight on. Yeah. So to try to push myself to do that and realize that I could was a cool feeling. And that was definitely like a new addiction for me. So I was, I think, genetically just in blessed with like a broad upper body and I can, yeah, you're I can bench more than most When girls. you guys Google her, she's jacked. You'll be able to see it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, thank you for saying that. Yeah. You know, we're our own worst critics. But um, yeah, I was able to bench a lot more than most women because that's usually the lift of the three that most women struggle with. You know, squat, I feel like my squat's like decent, but for... 300 pounds, bro? But that's, for women, is that back squat? Back squat, yeah. 
It's fucking heavy, dude. There's for women m- that are my size, I mean, I'm like 165 pounds. Dude, for dudes who walk in, there's most dudes who walk in here can't squat 300 pounds. Most dudes, yeah. correctly. Like, you go to like, and again, I haven't been, I, I rarely go to a big box gym because I just can't. Nothing wrong if you have to work out at one, but my God, it's a terrible environment. But like you walk in, like, dudes are fake squatting 315. But like, they're not, it's not parallel. It's not even, to, it's nothing. And I'm like, you really can't even do this. But you're actually squatting 300 pounds. Yeah. You're deadlifting 365 pounds. That was a cool moment for me. That was a PR, and I, I'm sure that I am stronger now, especially over the last couple of years that I've been training uh, with more of the OPEX methodology. Like I for can sure. tell my um, positions and awareness is has has been much more solidified, and I know I would be stronger. I just don't really have a desire to pull that kind of weight. But that experience, I was at Mark Bell's gym, and we were Mark Strong. Yeah, Mark's we strong, were with dude. a bunch of really cool ladies. That's actually where I met Colleen okay. first, for the first time. We were the bunch of really cool women putting on a women's strength event. And the day, the next day, we all just went to like lift on our own and kind of hang out and just vibe with the with the crew. And they're all, of course, wanting to go heavy. So I hit a 205 bench that day, and they're like, "We gotta max out your dead. Let's go!" And you know, I have all these guys screaming at me, and I'm like, "Man, I don't know what I can if I can do this." And yeah, I pulled 365 because they were all yelling at me, and uh, it was a, that was a pretty cool moment. But I don't know if I could could have repeated it without the intensity of being in that gym and having the dudes yell at me. But I, I say PR stuff. That's what it is, though. Like it's not like you can you might be stronger, you know, in three days from now than that. But I'm like. When you start to get to that level of, of being strong, whatever your your limit is for you, it has to be a perfect day. Yeah. Like you have to feel good. Like I'm not going to come in here and like row a 2K at 620 just for the fuck of it. Like that has to be like everything in my life or like I'm going to deadlift 600 pounds. Like it has to be a perfect – and on the same note, and I'll say this to anybody, can you do more than that? Probably. And we always say, what's the cost of it though? Like until my bicep rolls up in my arm when I have a pen. And then I would really be pissed that I even tried it. Like, so that's where, that's the space I live in now. Like, as I get older, I'm like, oh, can I do this or should I do it? So It's true. At, at the time, um, obviously, I was like, that was pushing, you know, pretty solid maxes for me. And I, it's heavy, man. I thought, like, do I want to push this further? Like, there, I was hearing of women competing in events and, like, you know, peeing on the platform and, throwing up on the platform and I'm just like oh I don't I don't know that that's attractive I don't know that I want to I mean that would I be like the best I mean I could pee and shit my pants before I'd like rip something I'd be okay with like if I can have to wear a diaper like I can roll with it but yeah. like man like you know to, to rupture something or tear like that's my greatest fear almost all the time but mm-hmm. that's so that, that for me was like okay I'm done I'm, I'm strong I feel good now I can move on and then I started exploring CrossFit and found Olympic lifting and did about a two-year push in trying to learn um, technique and you know look somewhat technically correct doing Olympic lifting and I love doing that and then yeah then it's like age starts to come you start to have the wear and tear on the shoulders and the low back and just you know for me lately I have not been doing much I'll definitely make sure I'm getting some like uh, proper bending and hip activation and my training has very functional components of it now but I'm definitely not like trying to snatch 150 anymore but like, and do you need to though? Like that's what we always say. Like, and I would argue with, and again, like I love all the. I grew up in the bodybuilding world, so I like all. It's it's married in that. I, I'd like to see what we do here is, you know, bodybuilding, like the bro shit mixed with the functional athletic stuff together, and that they had a baby, and that's what we spit out to people. And in the same sentence, like I'll still traditional deadlift for the not as much as I used to, and I'll never probably go past. 
I don't know if I'll ever do over 500 pounds anymore because, like, I just don't see the point of it. Like, if I'm repping 405, it's enough stimulus. And that's – I just want to look like I'm strong. I really don't give a shit at this point. <laughs> I'm like, but does the average person even have to traditionally deadlift? They don't. There's a million hinging patterns they can do yeah. to get the same result. And if you don't have the base belt, which you do, like, you can own it. So, like, that's – obviously, as you get older, you get smarter too. I think it's, yeah, it's part of it. So, yeah, so now for me, movement is just, like – creative expression you know I want to move every day I want to be challenged and find ways that I can use movement to reiterate the fact that I am strong and for me like in the gym the gym in the morning has always been like my time to because you work out early so right yeah usually I mean I, I would in your garage in my garage now it's hot was, as fuck dude it is really hot yeah because I see the door open and I'm like damn dude I'm like that's early because well, otherwise the air is trapped and you're horrible well, yeah. I mean, so what is it in the morning? 90-some degrees right now? Yeah. That's warm, dude. Lose some water weight, look a little leaner. Yeah. I mean, I get it. That's <laughs> but, crazy. But, uh, yeah, for me now, I train in, in about 6 a.m., I would say, is t- pretty normal for me now. But there was a good couple-year sprint where I was a uh, 4.30 a.m. or, like, crazy. And, you know, that now that I have learned uh, the importance of sleep and the impact that it has on the rest of my health, like, I just don't, I don't screw around with that as much anymore. I want to make sure I'm getting my at least seven hours and... So I sleep in a little bit more now. And your workouts are probably better. And your life energy is probably better because of it, I would imagine, overall. Agree, yeah. Mental fatigue is, it definitely happens a lot more when you're up that early. And You train every day? Pretty much, yeah. I would say if there's a day I wake up and I'm not feeling it, I'll like put a weight vest on and go for a walk outside and just like get some blood flow happening. But most days, I, when I, I know there's something going on if I wake up and I don't want to train because I love training. And so for me, that's like a good trigger that something's out of balance and I probably need to like do some self-care or some, just take some downtime because, you know, I should want to be training. Training, for me, movement every day is important. I value sure. it. And yeah, if, I, if, that, if I'm not feeling it, something else is going on. So either like, A, your body's beat to shit or just mentally, yeah. basically. And you still lift? Yeah. Like normal, like what's a normal, I don't want to say a normal week because it's a lot, but I'm like, you're loading, what, a couple of days a week still? Or every, like, so if, of the seven days a week, how many days are you picking up shit that has some uh, weight behind it? I would say it? from, with like a decent load, probably four. Cool. Um, for speed and stuff, probably like one or two. And then the other stuff is probably more body weight and aerobic. Makes sense. We do about the same thing. Like I'll load, I call it like, well, I lift shit every day, but it's like four real lifting days in terms of how I think of it. And, and that's the difference where I think... As you get older, anybody who's listening, like, we compare ourselves to what we used to be. And, like, can I, am I in better aerobic shape than when I played college sports? No, but I can beat the shit out of that version of me. And, two, like, do I train as long and as hard as I used to? No, but overall, I'm more fit, if that makes sense. And it's more concise what I'm doing. I'm not wasting time on a bunch of shit, but there's, like, and I thought about this other thing, like, I'm, like, I went through a workout. I'm, like, it's uh, step-ups for 10 minutes, uh, dumbbells. Pushing a sled for 10 minutes, dumbbells, and then just body weight walking lunges for 10 minutes straight. So it's 30 minutes. It's a miserable workout. I go, but like, I don't feel like it's that terrible compared to the shit I used to do. And I'm like, am I cheating myself? I'm like, well, no, you're just not being a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. I think that's a space like that's hard for me to live in now. And yeah, you're probably... I focus a lot more on like moving with intent and uh, moving well than I do like moving heavy and moving fast necessarily. I like to be like creative in... Uh, movement selection and training like I, I still want to be able to like walk on my hands and do handstand push-ups and do pull-ups that you know at like at least 10 reps of pull-ups in the set like I want to be able to move well and obviously I want to be able to lift well um, but yeah I'm not obsessing over like specific PR goals or anything at this point no how many pull-ups can you do 
I, it if depends. At this moment, I, I'm probably like, it's I'm a struggle bus, like between nine and 10 reps. It's a lot. I'm, I'm a little heavy for what I am normally am right now and like not really working on pulling strength. I had honestly like an odd injury thing happen. We were playing, we were on a softball league and I was doing- Fucking um, softball, yeah, dude. I was doing a block of pull-up progression with weighted pull-ups and so I, my volume was already high and then we were going out a couple nights a week throwing balls and I it just, I don't know what happened, but lower, um, you know, rear delt and shoulder blade just like irritated and I have, I had to take a little bit of time off pull-ups. So I'm actually just going back into like working on my pull-up strength again. No shit. Muscle-ups or no? I, I have done a few bar muscle-ups in my life. Yeah. I have done one ring muscle-up strict in my really, life. Really hard to do, yeah. Uno. And I would love to repeat it, but yeah, I just freak out. The ring ones, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. The bar ones, I think it's safer in context for most people. I ask you because my young kid's going to listen to this. He's 24. He weighs 100 and maybe 70 pounds, and he can't do a muscle-up. That's actually... I gnarly. was never a gymnast. I, it's the one thing if I could go back in time and say, like, what would you do differently 100%. In life, I, I tell people that all the time. Have your kids do that shit, dude. Yeah. We have friends who... They're... they're fit in quotations like they're just some they look like normal people and our buddy kevin he's like he maybe works out twice a week and like we'll go to a wedding i'm not kidding you give him like 10 beers he's got fucking dress shoes on the middle of the dance floor backflips and shit like it's nothing i can't do that of yeah. all the skills i have i'm like but yet he's rooted in it from the age of like mm-hmm. 10 on like it's a great skill set their body strength and awareness it's killer and like but gymnasts learn how to kip and they learn how to use that momentum to their oh, advantage and so for me, lear- trying to learn how to muscle up and kip as an adult was just very awkward. And I will, as much as I try to improve it, I'm always awkward at it, that movement. Oh, uh, dude, I said, because I, so, the, so, we're, so we're in, we're filming a content series for Men's Health and Colleen is there. And uh, she's like doing her whatever CrossFit shit workout. Not that it's shit, it's just a, a mixed bag. I don't even understand what I'm watching. And I wonder, she's like doing muscle-ups. I'm like, I can do more muscle-ups than you. And then I'm like, watch me kip my legs. And she's like, and I do like a 10 or something. I, upper body calisthenics, I just have that. Like I suck at a lot of things, but that was like a gift from God that's really not worth anything. But I have it. And I'm like, look at my muscle-ups. She's like, you don't kip your legs at all. But I feel like I do because I'm used to strict pull-ups. I have zero skills in terms of that too. It really is like, it's like... Learning to play a piano at age seven is easier than learning it at 37. And I think, like, the gymnastics movements are the exact same way. Yeah. But you have it, though. Because I remember, like, we did the 2200 workout here. You came in. I think only, like, three girls have finished it, too. It's terrible. We uh, It's 100 assault bike cows. It's a 1,000-meter row, 1,000-meter ski, and then just a 100-yard sled push with a rogue sled, which weighs 100 pounds. And you did it in the time, but then you're, like, doing fucking handstand walks afterwards. And we're just sitting here, and we feel like bags of shit, so... But you guys crushed me. I mean, I was like 17 minutes. You guys were like 10. But we should. We should though, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we should be able to. But the assault bike. Because I remember you're like, oh, I do ski. I'm like, how far have you skied? You're like, oh, 750. I'm like, meters? I'm like, that isn't anything, bro. I'm like, this is 1,000 right off the bat. And like really, who wants to do 100 assault bike cows either? We do it a lot. Like that's not a – you would never choose to do that in your free time. Mm-hmm. Like nobody like volunteers for that shit. It was rough. I, rem- I mean, I remember like just trying to keep pace with you guys. Like not have you guys get too far ahead of me. Um and I wanted to pause on that ski at two different points. And I was like, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. This is competition, right? Competition is different than training. So you just got to roll with it. Well, yeah. When Andrew's like, oh, I'm not really super fit. Like the asshole's done like how many Ironmans and stuff. And he like <laughs> hikes every mountain. Like, oh, I'm not really in shape. Like, get the hell out of here, I remember bro. my legs were on fire, though. My quads were burning. I think I split. So I went bike, half my sled push into the ski, then my back half of my sled push. I split it that way because you were like, split it how you want. Yeah. 
Um, and my quads were on fire. I just remember that. It's the worst, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd rather just do it all in chunks. I'm like, I hate it all individually. But I hate my shit how I hate it. And so I have my own process when I go through it. So on that same note, like, how does the, how you train now differ from, like, I guess, like, when you competed? Did you do the bodybuilding type shit, like one body part, or would you do splits, or? Definitely, yeah. I was, I grew up in weightlifting in a bodybuilding mindset, so a lot of isolation work, um, a lot of body part splits. You know, I might have hit a body part twice a week pretty frequently um, for about 16 years, so that was, like, my, my fundamental uh, base there, which yeah. was awesome because I came into... Uh, powerlifting with really good um, body awareness and the ability to know how to handle muscle contractions so I was able to lift heavier loads when I when I wanted to and so like in terms of that and I'll touch on it really fast like when you're competing that whole ecosystem like of how I would consider it people like is it safe I think it's safe like in quotations but like it's not a healthy environment like for people in terms of like if you have body dysmorphia or when you're competing and I tell us people we have people here who still want to do it once in a while and we'll work with them if they show they have the right mindset now when it comes down to it we really find out and what I mean is you work super hard and you've gotten the best shape that you can possibly be in so you've already won and you should just be happy with that but us as humans we're fucked so we step on stage and we feel great about ourselves we've done this effort and because we placed 16th and not first, now we think we look like a bag of shit. And we have to work on these four things because four of these asshole judges told us we didn't look good enough. And if you're not mentally strong, that sticks with you. Like, did you feel any of that? Or, like, obviously you probably saw it for sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was young. I started at, like, 16, right? So Which most yeah. 16-year-olds aren't equipped to mentally probably take that on. Yeah. Fem- and I don't want to say just females, but it, you guys have it way worse than us, for sure. Agree. And I think we... Yeah, there was, it's, it's basically controlled starvation, right? So you put yourself in like a place to develop an eating disorder. And it is an eating disorder in, in every right, right? It's a controlled eating disorder. Well, yeah, no matter like, uh, and I say something, everybody yeah. who competes, they have an eating disorder. They might all be different, but it's not you're over-exercising, you're under-eating, and I'll share the story again I've told it before, and I'll let you go. Remember we're, we're sitting um, backstage, Skip Wood and I, and this is like, probably one of the last shows I did and he's sitting there and there's one of the people who are working for the show they take a bite of an apple and he looks at me and he's dead fucking serious he's like can you imagine like putting that much sugar into your body at one time and it's a fucking apple it's like 25 to 30 grams of sugar and he's saying it to me I'm like I know that's crazy what he's saying, but he's also right. Like we have not done that and not unless it was a controlled environment because that's what you're doing. You look at food at, in a completely fucked up way, um, like where it's like almost like we can't eat unless we exercise and we can only eat this much in this increment. And if we do, God forbid, we don't look a certain way. And so like it does, you do develop a, a shitty relationship with food when you compete. I don't know anybody who can't. Yeah. And not only through the, like the cutting process, but then the cycle of, um, recovering from a show, the oh, binging dude. process that happens. Like Mine were the can, worst, too. I only have a short off-season, so I can only have these foods for a certain amount of time, so I want to have all of them in, in way larger quantities than I ever should be. And then there's the guilt that comes from doing that and that cycle that happens, and then you go back into prepping for the next show, and yeah, I think it's, it's taxing. I know there was a point, and I don't often like share this with people, but so I'll share with Welcome the world Welcome world, now. yes. Um, there was a point, I think I was probably 18 years old, and I was still living at home, about to graduate high school. This was probably, this was three years into competing. 
um, I would have like my own section of the pantry where like my oats and my my things were and I would prepare my food and of course I'm living with my mom and my sister and my stepdad and there's junk around the house and I would have these moments where I was like I want to eat that but I can't and I just want to taste it so I would you know grab a piece of chocolate and put it in my mouth and chew it and then like spit it in the sink yes thinking like nice I can taste it but I don't have to eat the calories and I remember one time my mom came home like unexpectedly and I was oh, I can have the chocolate and I can spit it out. And she caught me and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is, if I ever see you doing that again, You're I crazy. will never allow you to compete. Like, not going to happen. Just, oh, so she called me on it right away and I was like, you're right, this is not healthy behavior. I couldn't even see it at that point. Um, so yeah, as, as strong as I think I would like to believe I am, um, yeah, you fall victim to things like that because you're, you're like, what can I get away with? that isn't going to affect the outcome that I'm desiring. For sure. Um, yeah, which is just putting yourself down in a really, really unhealthy place. So I'm glad that I had a mom that called me on my shit and yeah. let me develop unhealthy behaviors. Well, and you can see how crazy it is. Like we've, and at our house, like we're overeaters by nature, my wife and myself both. So like we buy single servings of everything and that's just how we have to roll. And I remember like when we used to get Girl Scout cookies, like in, in the competing days, or like when we show up to, to, to video shoots and photo shoots, it's a similar concept. Now I just live in this window and it's not as extreme. Like you, the difference between being like, you know, if it's seven, six percent to five to it's a different world of, of pain and hurt. Every percentage point you go down essentially is one more miserable level. And remember, like you get Girl Scout cookies and you could eat a couple because they'd fit the macros and I have to put them in the trash. But that wasn't enough. I'd have to like spray them with like Windex, mm -hmm. like really fucking hard. Otherwise, so I would dig in. I would go in the trash and eat them. And now it's like when them little criminals show up and try to sell me Girl Scout cookies, I just give them the money and tell them to get the fuck down the street because I don't want to deal with it. But it does. It is a sickness, and it, when you're in it, you don't really understand how, like psychologically, what it's going to do to you five, ten years from now if you keep the cycle going. So yeah, when I look back though at the time that I was competing and like starting in the sport of bodybuilding and fitness, I what I appreciate so much about that time was like the di discipline that I developed. I mean, you have to live on a schedule, balance, oh, for sure. obviously training, nutrition, um, at the time fitness routines and school, and then having a job and being a young person, like learning to manage all that um, helped me obviously develop as a human and just be able to apply that work ethic to my career and my relationships and other things. So I'm grateful for the discipline that I learned from the sport. And I think most people can say that when they come out of it. Well, I think if you're if you're healthy enough mentally to do it from like a nutrition standpoint, I would tell anybody, and it doesn't have to be competing. And I, I love the process of it. I am not a look at me person, even though it's Jeremy Scott Fitness. If I knew it was going to be this, I never would have fucking called it that anyway. But I'm like, I didn't like to be, hey, I'm on stage, look at me. It was just a means to an end for because that was our segue into this life. This was there was no Instagram that this didn't exist, so we couldn't control it on our own. And I hated being on stage and like that part of it, the show me shit. I go, however. Anybody who's listening, like to get really lean at least once in your life, I think you should do it to see if you have the capability to do it and to understand like what it takes to get there and how tough it is. And the other thing it shows you, it's it's a delayed gratification process. And that's why I think sports are the same way. That's how I became good at sport. And this, I'm like, well, if I do this now for this long, it will pay off three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. And I think that's a problem with a lot of people in general. They're not willing to work at a job for a year or two years or three years. They just want everything to happen in two fucking seconds. And with the human body, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to really put in the work. And it's, it's the one thing in life where you can't inherit it somebody can't give it to you you can't really cheat it like either you're you're big you're strong you're lean because you fucking earned it and genetics are real too but i'm like you had to die for it and, and a lot of other things in life it's not the same way so it does teach you a lot of life lessons if you can 
take the good from the crazy. Yeah, I think you also like hit a point where you're like, why am I doing fitness? And you know, being around James and the OPEX team, that's a common question asked. You know, what like why do you do fitness? And are you really is your movement practice like connected to a bigger purpose? And so for me, when I hit that point where I was like, my life is now about training. Like I am not training to live a better life. I'm not. My movement isn't like you know making me more productive, making me happier, like connecting me to people I want to be around it's actually like like you said we were talking earlier your life your behaviors start to come around your obsessions and it's like if you schedule yourself in such a way that like if it doesn't meet your weird behaviors like I can't do that so you limit yourself when you can connect to that and like realize okay this is unhealthy because my life is about fitness whereas fitness isn't like giving me fulfillment and influencing my life in a positive way and so for me now like as I've aged like that's the perspective is like fitness is actually like freedom it's like it's adult play. Like we get to express ourselves. We get to fail. We get to like learn from our mistakes in the gym and like grow and play as adults. And then it should be fun. It's not that serious for me anymore. I want to feel better and when I leave be. the gym no. than when I walked into it. Well, then we say that here too. I'm like, people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, we can get really detailed. And I'm like, I teach adult PE. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. It's, it's life coaching on a, on a scale, but it, it is adult PE. And in the competing world, when someone asks me like, what is it really like? I'm like, well... The example I say is it's when your fitness steals your fitness. Like when you're the fittest you've ever been, but yet your performance is the shittiest you'll ever be. You're the most hangry, mean, pissed off, short, unpatient human you'll ever fucking be. You're the worst version of yourself, but yet you look like a fucking rock star. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is it worth it? And for 99.9% of people, it's not. Like, and I, and I, and I, love my wife for, for being with me and bearing through it because it was a means to an end and I, and I like to think that I did it better than most people do it but I'm sure there had been times where she's like this dude's just a fucking asshole but I'm like you're just it's it's the world you live in so now it's a you and I both have a healthy relationship so anybody listening yeah. there is good that comes from it but there's a fine line there or honestly. just keep people around you who will like check you when you start to get crazy or when you start to be an asshole right they'll tell you uh, hey, you don't, why are you doing this? You don't look happy. Like, Well, and this is what I always say to myself when I would try to have like, you know, I don't want to say like a little bitch moment, but you have a lot of them when you're you're hungry and you're tired and you're exhausted. Like I would say, nobody's making you do this, bro. Nobody's, you're choosing to do this. And so if you're choosing, you better be fucking happy about it. Yet it, it's it's easy to see the forest from the trees. When you're in it, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, I'm still weird. I still have weird food tendencies. Like I like, I mean, I like to prepare my own food. I like to bring it with me. I mean, I'm better now. I'm not eating out of Ziploc bags. I'm eating out of glass Tupperware. I hate to. That's why I started fasting. So I'm like, I can't live like that anymore. It was the worst, dude. So how do you eat now, basically? Don't get normal. Yeah, I do. I meal prep usually on a Sunday for the week. And I'll, you know, depending on what I'm in the mood for, I'll I'll grill a bunch of different proteins. I try to have more variety in my protein selection now than I ever did in the past. I was always like a chicken and a whitefish person. Obviously, growing up competing, you want to stay lean. But now I try to incorporate, uh, you know, a variety of proteins and have fattier proteins and have beef in, in my diet and different types of fish. So I'll you know prep a couple of proteins and in bulk and that's just in the fridge. And then I, for the most part, am like a cauliflower rice, kale and mixed vegetable kind of person. So I make a big batch of that. I, I measure food still. Uh, no shit. Know, everything goes, I try to keep track of, of the macros and- I do, sure I, within aware. reason I do too, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not like a person, I'm in my phone a lot for work, so I don't want to be like logging calories in the tool all the time, but I know because I've done it for so long, like intuitively- It's, a, sick, it's a sickness you own now, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, it. and I'm still like, I'll go to a party, 
Uh, if it's a family gathering and I know it's like they know me, I'm going to bring my own food. And even if it's not, I bring, I bring food to restaurants still and oftentimes. So it just depends. Like no I had shit. To do, I had to do a photo shoot a few weeks ago for a bra that I just uh, was I think I saw launch. a picture of it or something. Yeah. yeah, really amazing company called The Chesty. Um, she designed sports bras with collarbone protection and padding for those that Olympic lift and nice, CrossFit. Dude. So cool innovation. And I got to design the style and she names it after the designer. So it is the Candace Chesty. That's tight. now available. Um, but I had to do a photo shoot for that. And I was like, you know, I, I always try to stay in check and, and obviously live in a way that I, lo- I love the way that I look. And I try to embrace that. Uh, but when you're getting ready and you want to do your best, you kind of like trim up the calories, make sure you're a little tighter. So... Yeah, it was definitely a few times where I was like, oh, I'm bringing Tupperware to restaurants with me again. But those in my life who know me and love me are like, oh, it's just oh, Candace. Shit. She's just going to eat how she eats. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. I mean, I do go to some things and not eat stuff or just have like a coffee if it's like a work event or something. But I'm way looser now than I used to be. But again, I can own it and I can fast for longer periods of time too. But it's unique. Any vices though, food-wise? Anything? Oh, sweets, for sure. Yeah. And what's your favorite go-to? Um, well, like lately, my biggest addiction is I've... Well, so I did a bunch of food testing and tolerance testing a while back. Uh, when I moved here... Like an Alcott test or something like that? Yeah. We have not hit this topic, but I did have a hysterectomy from... Uh, before I moved here from Boise a few years back and about two years back now. And so then I made this career transition. I moved here to Arizona, got into uh, the role I'm in with now with OPEX, and obviously have access to a bunch of really smart coaches and um, we started digging into my hormonal health, um, my nervous system, and um, a lot of food intolerances. And so I did some testing and I realized that like soy lecithin was one of my biggest triggers. It's in everything. Of course, it's in chocolate. I love chocolate. It's in most sweets. Yeah. So I found some chocolates that are like these baking chocolate chips that have no soy lecithin in them and they're actually like fairly low in sugar. So that's my vice right now is like grabbing handfuls of that out of the pantry and not measuring it. Um, but I'm an ice creamaholic. So, yeah. Like real ice cream or like Halo Top Enlightened? Or just I, I don't do the Halo Top anymore. I was on it for a while and stomach just doesn't tolerate it. Well. Have you tried Enlightened? I have tried Enlightened. You like it's it or no? Decent. Yeah. Yeah. A thicker than Halo Top? Yeah. Creamier. But, it's mm-hmm. hard as shit. I mean, you yeah. let it sit for like 10 minutes. but Yeah, but it's like, and now at this point, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. There was one that I found more recently called Cado, I believe, which is the avocado, avocado-based version. They have like three flavors in Whole Foods. Yeah. And it's decent. It's higher fat, but... Um, it doesn't give you the. It doesn't have a lot of the artificial stuff in it that makes you have gas and indigestion. So and do you eat real ice cream then? I eat real ice cream. Yeah, like what? What do you like? Ben and Jerry's or something? Uh, no, I don't know the brand. Actually, my my boyfriend is like addicted to it, but it's like a gelato. Uh, oh yeah, I mix that's in like the clear container. And I've seen them at like Safeway and stuff. They have places. some epic ones right now that have like chocolate peanut butter cups on the bottom and layers and you know Sounds we'll go ham on one of those. I like that. Uh, booze at all? No. No, I had never started drinking because I started competing in fitness so young. And that like uh, sugar balance discussion that we were having earlier oh, as well. Booze is the worst. Yeah. Was top of mind. So it was like if I was gonna have something that was off my diet, I would choose a sweet like an ice cream. And so I just never got into drinking and yeah, it's that I'm like, why start now? Uh, no, and again if I had a choice I'd rather eat the shit than drink it. That's just me. Some people are the other way, but I'm I like cinnamon rolls and pizza and the normal shit way too much. <laughs> I've never been like a foodie, like a savory foodie type person. Always a sweet person. So. I'd like, but I grew up like like ghetto as hell. So for me, it's like it's all the cheap shit, and that's the weird part. And I wish like if a parent's listening, like I'm not saying I don't have a solution. I'm not saying don't give your kid that shit. But like, is and I we live here, so we have like Mastro's and Ocean Forty Four. We have all this super nice shit now, but still this little ghetto dude. Like I would still probably eat Tombstone Pizza, fucking Doritos, 
Velveeta macaroni and cheese. I would eat Kraft, but Velveeta was like the the yeah. better version of it. Like, and that's like, and you and like gu- gushers, fruit by the foot, <laughs> like all this, you know, Dunkaroos, all this crazy shit. And I'm like, you, st- I still would eat it if that's the person I was, which is really weird because you kind of always crave these things you had as a kid. Maybe it's nostalgia or something. I don't know, but yeah, it's strange. I feel like I focus more now on like what. What am I doing from a movement practice perspective and what am I consuming and how does it make me feel? And I like feeling good every day. 100%. So like if I'm going to eat something and it's going to make me pay a price the next day, I'm going to think twice about it. Well, and I always do it now because like, we don't eat, we rarely eat pizza because I feel like shit afterwards. And so I know if I have to come to work early, like I can't eat pizza. It's just like I don't want to shit my pants like four times in a day. So that's basically what all my life decisions come down to. How am I going to feel and do I have to take a dump in public? Basically, Yeah, it's, I mean food is kind of, I think this is a very, is an opexism as well, but food is like a 45 to 50 hour commitment, right? Well, I tell people this, I go, it's the heart, other than like some real shit, like battling like cancer, or you're paralyzed or like severe loss, eating right is one of the hardest things you'll have to do because it's a decision you have to win, whether you eat two, three, four, five times a day, every day until you're fucking dead. You can't just like invest and coast off of what you did 10 years ago because it's like your shape rolls the other way pretty fast. Yeah. I don't think people realize like how, when they feel shitty and they don't realize how shitty they feel like because of what they're eating and then they change their nutrition and they oh my gosh like my life has changed right well it's like you were eating shit and you're gonna feel like shit of course but i, I don't think the average person like even knows what feeling good is like because uh-huh. i don't think they've went three days just eating like plants and animals yeah which is crazy but interestingly i've gone through periods um since i have been at opex doing like protein fasts which i had never done before and just to give that digestive system a break and to rest. And it's like you're pretty much doing vegetables for a three-day... Colleen told me period. that she did that one time and I thought that was fucking crazy. Yeah. But I, under, I understand it because you think about like we don't know the long-term ramifications of even eating, you know, this, this six, eight meals a day bodybuilding horse shit that people started doing in the 90s. That's only been around for 30 years. Like we don't know the long-term digestive stress that causes on a body of somebody doing it for 50 years if they can make it mm-hmm. or not giving the body a break from if it's animal proteins or just in general, like the abundance that we do eat in this life, which... Yeah. Eating behavior in general is like a weird topic um, and something I've been more mindful of as I've been older and more concerned with my health and then studying a lot about nervous system issues, like thinking about like how sympathetic we are all day and like eating on the go and just in a rush and how shitty that is for our digestive system. Oh, dude. So now, like, trying to be more mindful about, okay, okay, I'm going to eat now, so I'm going to stop working, I'm going to get out of a screen, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to take a few deep breaths, I'm going to, like, actually chew my food, I'm going to have this meal with someone, and then I'm going to go back to my day, and, like, that makes quite a difference. But most people, it's just, like, it's a bag or a box or a gas station living, and that's how they roll through the day. It's just the, the a documentary, you guys, if you're listening, like, uh, One Nation Under Stress does a really good job of kind of, it's on HBO, like, breaking it down. It's a similar concept where it's just, like, we were so inundated with shit, we put the food stuff on the back burner, when in our reality, like, that's what either makes us healthy or unhealthy, which we give it, we give our job and our kids and our life and all these things, like, meaning, but yet the food we eat, we give very little attention to, the average person, mm-hmm. and hence the reason we, a lot of us move and look like shit which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy and then like think about the positive benefit that 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 change in your lifestyle has not only on how you feel and how you're digesting but like the relationships you have instead of being on the go and being on, in front of a screen all the time like you can actually take 10 minutes and have a conversation it's and i wish people would, i mean again it's it's every cell of you too though like how your hair skin nails grow everything like your life becomes better when you eat shit that makes your body feel good but I, I get it's a tough conversation because there's so many things out there that taste great. I get it. But, man, 
there's got to be some give and take there. Yeah, it's funny when people obsess about like tracking macros, right? But they're not thinking about like food hygiene or food choices. No. Um, yeah, so like start with the things you can control. And if you can take 10 minutes to actually sit down, enjoy a meal, breathe a bit before you eat it, chew your food and have a conversation, like start there, learn the behavior and then think about the, what am I actually consuming and then think about the quantities. And we're, and then, but again, it's always like, I just want to look good and yeah. be shredded. I, I get that, but I'm like, you, you're 19 steps away from it and they just want to jump to uh-huh. step 20 typically. Agreed. Uh, before I run out of time, I want you to dig into this really quick. So you mentioned it quick. So your health stuff, your share with me that the story, um, I found out I wasn't, you know, super healthy. Um, the hysterectomy story, just for these guys listening, because I do think it's important, uh, and kind of that little journey through that really quick. Yeah, sure. And I, I really like to be open about sharing it, just because I think one of the things I struggled with going through the process is like I couldn't find examples of women who were athletic and dealing with something similar and, and coming out with a positive outlook or um, outcome from the process. So I, I'm happy to share it. And I ended up documenting the whole process on my Instagram and then also bodybuilding.com did an article about it. And so you know that's available for women who are actually dealing with this because it is quite common and it's happening to women younger and younger. Um, but essentially, you know, I went to, for just a normal annual checkup and uh, tests came back irregular cells, had to go through some biopsies and figured out um, through that process that I had some precancer cells, which is what they thought it was. And it was like, okay, we're going to go in and do this other procedure that is a little bit more invasive, but you're outpatient, you know, that day. And, and through that process, they actually found more um, and it wasn't precancer cells. They were a little bit further along, but still very early, early stage. And so I had to wait for some results and I was actually like traveling back to Arizona to see my mom for our birthdays and for Mother's Day. And the plane was about to take off and I saw that the doctor was calling and grabbed the phone to answer it. And I'm like, I only have a few seconds because this flight is about to take off. I'm going to visit my mom. And the doctor said, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we've, we've found more cancer and you're gonna have to have a hysterectomy. Like there's a chance we could do a partial and you know, try to save um, the majority of your uterus so that you could have kids one day. But I don't think that's the route you should take. This is like pretty serious and could come back aggressively. You're, you're best to you know, remove the whole thing. And I was just like, okay, I will call you as soon as I land. Yes. I'll be with my mom. This will be a great flight. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this. Um, yeah, and it, you know, you take these things in stride. You, know, you don't ever know why they actually come up in life. Um, but for me, my career had always been my, uh, my child of sorts. Like I manage large teams. I like, give a lot to the teams that I manage. And so I feel very fulfilled from that perspective that I have a lot of people in my life who I can parent in some way, shape, or form. Sure. And so for me, I didn't stress too much about the fact that I wasn't going to be able to have children, although my mother felt very differently. Um, that's, that's moms, right? Yeah. yeah. I had a great doctor through the experience and was able to sit down with her and kind of explain my, uh, my training age, my history, my athletic ability, and put a game plan together for you know, what we could do in the couple of weeks I had pre- pre-surgery, um, and then what I was able to do um, post-op and th- through the recovery process, which typically is about six months for most women. Um, and they ask you like, not to do anything. You know, you're in bed for a few days to a week, you really can't lift anything over five to 10 pounds for the first two weeks and they slowly and incrementally give you permission to do more. A lot of this is because you know internally you're healing so they're re-suturing like your bowel, your bladder and your vaginal wall. Um, there's a lot that could go wrong there if that is pulled in, for any, sure. in any way. So they want you to be careful. Um, my surgery luckily was like primarily vaginally with some lap- laparoscopic assist so I could 
I could heal pretty fast, but those internal sutures, they want you to be careful. So they're not, they're not letting you squat 300 pounds. No, you're not squatting 300 the next day. Yeah. I get it. So, but I, you know, I went through that um, pre-surgery process where you go down the WebMD rabbit hole, you freak yourself out, you read a bunch of stories about the worst case scenario. Self-diagnosing what's going to happen to you. Yeah, it's the worst, dude. No, the you, worst. you can't do that. And yeah, I didn't find any stories of women who had been athletic, who had gone through this, who had come out you know, just as strong or stronger on the other side. And I wanted to be able to share that. So I'm glad that I was able to like get through the experience. I mean, I feel fairly easily. I feel blessed that I, you know, it's, it's a shame that I can't have children uh, as a, a repercussion from the whole procedure, but a lot of people have to deal with things that are all, a lot worse. Um, so for me, I'm like, I feel grateful that I am just here and healthy and, you know, cancer free and, able to move and do what I love every single day and, and hopefully like me sharing what, what I went through is able to give someone else um, that bit of hope that's like hey your life isn't over for You've sure other things you can pour love into and you will come out just as strong and that's like what about two years back yeah and and how are you now totally fine yeah I'm good I mean coming out of that so not I mean this is probably a mostly male show so not you want to talk about vaginas and women's hormones but their dudes are married to women they came from a woman it all all circles back but I mean obviously like um so I'm 37 when I was 16 this was the time where uh, most OBGYNs and local doctors were just like passing out birth control you know it's like you have cramps birth control you have acne birth control you, you know so I was on the pill from you know 16 years old to just before I had my hysterectomy and coming out of that procedure obviously shocking to your body you're going through some recovery I was I was decent a few months post-op even probably close to a year post-op at a year post-op I started like experiencing symptoms that I was not really aware of um, mostly fatigue and just some like mental grogginess I wasn't like as sharp as I was used to being I was feeling tired I was not wanting to train as much right so these things are starting to happen I went to uh, another annual checkup just to kind of see how things were rolling. I asked the doctor if she would do some blood work. My panels came back and I had some hormonal imbalance issues and like nothing like insane, but things that for me, when I'm trying to like focus on optimal health. You can or, tell. Or call. And so, you know, she was like, hey, we can, we can do some things. We can work with you on some supplementation, but you know, we're, this is not really what we do here. You, you should probably find, if you're interested in like seeing what's possible, you should probably find a doctor who will. So with my um, coach, I, I saw you know, more of a functional med doc and did some more testing, some Dutch testing, which is the, you know, one of the, the best tests for hormonal panels and things like that. And for sure. You're in over a couple of days so they can actually see when your cortisol spikes and you have a lot more depth of knowledge to understand all the components of um, things that could be going wrong from a hormonal perspective. And so I did and yeah, I've been working through a lot of that and then just like really accommodating my lifestyle. So like getting seven hours of sleep, having a nighttime routine, uh, breathing throughout the day, like taking walks throughout the day. Um, Just like normal, healthy human shit that none of us basically fucking do. Yeah. Yeah. Like chilling out. Yeah. Chilling out, like reducing stress, getting my nervous... Because at the same time as I was... When your nervous system or when you're having hormonal issues, usually there's a lot going on with like gut health and nervous system at the same time. For sure. So luckily as I was working with... um, doctors that were thinking more holistically, they were checking all of these things. So I was able to realize like, hey, your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic systems are like way off the charts and both are like one foot on the gas, one, on, one foot on the brake and you basically are a walking zombie. So let's figure out how to like get you to chill the fuck out. 
so yeah breathing uh meditation and like calming down not like dealing with maybe not getting so worked up i i like to think i handle stress well but i think i internalize it a lot so i think we all do learning to breathe through it and talk about things more and like just not realize that like if you're dealing with an issue uh like the world isn't gonna end like I would take, I'll take on work stress and I'll wear it on, like, on my sleeve. And at the end of the day, uh, my goal right now is to make coaches better coaches. Like, I'm not, I'm, I am changing lives. Like, there is a lot of good that can come from it. But For sure. there's no lives at risk at this point. So at the end of the day, I should be able to chill out a little bit if something isn't going perfect. Yeah. I like to say, like, 99% of the shit we do doesn't fucking matter. And that's a really terrible way to live your life if you, if you want to think of it as important. But I'm like, does it, though? Like, it does, and it, like, I'm not willing to take on, like, all the shit that goes on here, because what's it worth, dude? Like, if you don't feel good, then you're suffering, and then nobody wins. So, it's like, and again, I think for you, if you go through something like that, like, uh, if somebody doesn't get their program right, or, like, uh, you don't get as much clicks on an ad, like, who really gives a fuck, dude? Like, there's much bigger shit than, and, like, hitting a PR. Does it really matter in the big scope of stuff? Yeah. Probably. But it's gotten me, like, really interested in studying these things that I probably, you know, wasn't so interested before this experience that I went through. So really understanding, like, how the systems work and the things that we can do to live healthier and, like, optimally longer. Those are, you know, I I spend a lot of time geeking out about that stuff now. Well, I say, like, you know, shit happens for a reason, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if that's, like, now that's your mission to roll to educate people and if they listen to this and they hear that and this is their thing like you become that resource which is in a shitty way really cool in the same way which is nice definitely uh other than that like you do blood work still like follow-ups like normal people or do you have to do more than the average or just oh from the procedure yeah or anything yeah so you yeah they keep you on a close watch just in case like there were any was anything missed right that could trigger and like come back aggressively so i'm now i'm at the point where i do like annual checkups on that um, but yes, blood work because I've been like really on top of optimizing my hormonal health and like tracking my nervous system um, issues and things like that. Um, I usually am at the functional doc like once a month. Nice. Yeah. And then my coach, obviously I work with a coach. I think every coach needs a coach and like someone to be, keep you accountable. And so I have a lot, I'm lucky in the fact that I have like good people in my corner from multiple areas of expertise that, you know, I can go to when, when something's not feeling right and then we can decide what to do from there. When you have body awareness too, like beyond a level of probably the average person too, which is super helpful. Yeah, I definitely do those like self checks, you know, daily, weekly. But then also to make sure that as you're documenting those things, like you have someone else with their eyes on it because you just might miss it. I mean, like I would, I didn't know for three months that like me waking up tired every day that that was a sign that I should have paid attention to. I was just like, oh, you got to plow through it. You just got to keep going. As athletes, we do stupid shit for sure, and we don't we get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I dig that, man. That's gold, bro. I like all that. Um, so these guys, where can they uh, if they want to reach out to you? Obviously, not just about this, but if it's training stuff or normal stuff, uh, how do they stalk you? I mean, or find you? You know where they want to be at? Like what platforms? Where you're at? Um, share them all. Yeah, I think mostly I'm I'm active on IG. I've probably been less active. Uh, of the recent year that I have ever been in my entire life in social channels and on web I've just been focusing more on real life um, that's kind of what's more important to me right now but I love the relationships I've been able to develop um, through social media so I am active there um, I'm open to comments questions DMs I do have a site and things like that but it's it's not really the focus for me right now for sure yeah so I'll share her I'll link her stuff up to you guys uh, on Instagram here probably in the next what day is it today is September the 6th I'll load it tonight tomorrow and then we'll kick it off in the email too is it what is your Instagram 
handle? Just my full name, Candace Hudspeth. K-A-N-D-A-C-E-H-U-D-S-P-E-T-H on Instagram. For me right now, uh, the stuff that I publish on Instagram is mostly like journaling of my my workouts daily and like my mission is just to get up and move every day and be inspired by what I'm able to do in the gym and like prove that the strength that I can gain there carries on to the rest of my life and if there you know are other people that can connect to that message and be inspired by that like that's awesome um, that's really where I'm focused right now I dig it man perfect stuff um, so again you guys give her a follow obviously on Instagram I'll connect all the channels on our stuff if you have a question for her and you can't find her for some reason I'll make sure to harass her for you if you're on iTunes right now stop don't be a lazy ass drop a five star leave a comment I truly would appreciate it and if you guys know somebody that this podcast episode can help just pass along the message you guys don't understand the casket effect you have by just sharing it with somebody goes a lot further than you can even imagine so anything else you guys want to hear in the podcast shoot me a message send me a DM if I can speak on it I will and if you have other questions for Candace we'll either bring her back on or we'll send them directly to her so until next time eat well train hard be nice to people and please you guys Keep doing shit you love of people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. Candace, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.